Good morning, you guys. Happy Easter to you. Um, I don't know if you would uh, do this with me. It'd be really fun. Um, but for years, uh, Christians, they would, um, when they were passing each other on the streets, you know, if you were to pass another Christian, someone would say, hey, he is risen. And the other one would say, he's risen indeed. And um, I don't normally say that to people. Um, but I thought it'd be really fun this morning. And uh, just it's meaningful if I were to say, he's risen. And if you didn't leave me hanging. And you said, he's risen indeed, okay? Um, he is risen. He is risen Man, you guys got it. That's awesome. Uh, if you have a Bible, please open it up to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And uh, as you're doing that, would you all stand with me? I'm going to read uh, eight verses, nine verses or so here um, in 1 Corinthians. It talks about this great victory that Christ has won for us through the resurrection. So starting in verse 50 of chapter 15. It says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Father, uh, this morning I pray that you would cause us to see uh, with fresh eyes and the eyes of our heart, Lord, Jesus walk out of the empty tomb and that we would see uh, once again, uh, maybe in a, in a deeper way, God, that just really sticks and reshapes us, uh, what that really means for our life. Lord, I pray you'd, you'd give us a, a heart filled uh, with gratitude today, and Holy Spirit, that you would teach us now what it is that you have to say to us through your word in Christ's name, I pray. Amen. Thanks for standing. You can be seated. Um, so last Sunday, uh, when I was preaching during, during our gathering here, there was something happening in the world um, that everybody was talking about. At least it seemed like everybody was talking about something. Everybody was watching something. Everybody was watching Tiger Woods win the Masters Tournament, I think, for the fifth time, okay? And I don't even know if you care about golf. The vast majority of the world doesn't care about golf and didn't, it seemed, until the late 90s, early 2000s, when Tiger Woods hit the scene. And uh, he was just so exciting, and people were watching golf again. And uh, he, he really revitalized the sport, if you will. And he was at the very top of his game. He was an amazing, uh, amazing golfer. But through different hardships, through personal issues, through bad, you know, maybe choices in life, through, through terrible injuries and back issues or whatever have you, this, this guy, Tiger Woods, who was at the very top of the world, came crashing to the very bottom and stayed at the bottom for a long, long time. 
And so last week, it was, it was incredible because this guy who was at rock bottom and everyone thought his career was over was back on top again. And people are, are watching this. They're talking about this. They're tweeting about it. He's hugging everybody. People are hugging each other. People are cheering. Everyone's crying. People are watching the videos and crying. You probably cried if you saw it. I mean, you don't lie, okay? It was really just an exciting day for everybody. And even Michael Jordan, MJ, you know, the, the actor from Space Jam, right? The great one <laughs> himself, right? He said in his own words, this is the greatest comeback I've ever seen. And uh, it was amazing. It really was, okay? But I, I beg to differ with MJ. I beg to differ with him because today, guys, we are celebrating the ultimate comeback story, right? The, the ultimate victorious one, right? Because on Good Friday, as we gathered together, we remembered that on Good Friday when Jesus died, Satan Sin and death thought they had won when they placed him in the grave. They thought they had won, but Sunday morning came and Jesus got up from death and he walked out of the grave and he never went back into it ever again. And now we see this morning, guys, I hope we see this morning what this victory means for you. That's what this passage is getting at, that this resurrection of Jesus, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, it's offering us something. It changes so many things. And this will be on the screen, but we see in these few verses here that Jesus' victory, that his resurrection, it offers us a promise that you couldn't obtain. It offers you a victory that you couldn't win. And it offers you a purpose that you could never have ever lived with. So the first thing that we see here is this promise that we could not obtain. Starting in verse 50, it says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. We shall be changed for this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. Guys, verse 50 starts by saying, I tell you this, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. And we should stop right there and you should feel this sense within you that goes, uh-oh. There's like an uh-oh here. Uh-oh. Why? That's me, right? I'm flesh and blood. I'm, I'm very perishable. It says flesh and blood, uh, which is a common figure of speech for, for mortals, for anything that was temporary and not eternal. As do you see, we have a problem. We have a huge problem. In our current state, we remain perishable. We remain flesh and blood. We can't enter heaven. We can't enter the kingdom of God in its ultimate state in our current condition. See, the, the bad news is that we can't come to God on our own terms. In our current condition, this is the, the uh-oh. But then comes this crazy, awesome promise, which Paul calls a mystery in verse 51. He says, behold, which means look, look at this, which is interesting because you would think he would say, hey, listen, he says, look, I want you to see something. I want you to envision something, right? We shall not all sleep, which he's referring to death, but we shall be 
changed. The dead will be raised, imperishable. We shall be changed. This is his great promise. How? Well, he says this will happen in a moment. This will happen in just a moment. Right? The word literally is the word that we, we get our word Adam from. The idea is that you can't, it's so, such a, a tiny moment, it's so fast, you can't even divide it up into two different parts or something. Right? This will happen in the twinkling of an eye, meaning the time it takes to, to glance at someone or to flutter your eyelids, right? which many of you, I'm sure, do that. Right? But he says, when it'll happen? Because this will happen at the last trumpet. Like, well, why is there a trumpet? What's up with the trumpet? Well, in the Old Testament, prophets use the image of the trumpet in reference to the end of time. That the idea is that a trumpet would sound, that would signal the end. But more, but more so, the trumpet was used in ancient times to assemble people. So Jesus is referring to this whole idea um, that, that Paul's basically just robbing Jesus from in Matthew 24, where Jesus says there's going to be a trumpet that will sound, and God is going to gather all of those that are his from all over the earth. Guys, we're being promised something. We're being promised something here. That there's a, a coming, a day, when God is going to call his people to himself, and in that moment, we will be changed. Just like that. Paul says it twice here in verse 51 and 52. We will be changed. That's the promise that's being held out to you. Life will not be one day, what it is right now, right? If you've put your faith in Jesus, how can I obtain this promise if I'm incapable of doing it in my current condition? How is this possible? Well, verse 53 says, for something is being replaced here, not simply added to. It says this perishable, this mortal will put on the imperishable, the immortal, that, that that's how we're going to be changed doesn't mean that you're just adding the imperishable to the perishable and you're somehow still perishable. As if I wore a suit this morning, which obviously I didn't, if I wore a suit and tie this morning, I might look differently, but internally I'm still Josh, you know? That's not what this is talking about, that the imperishable will be added to the imperishable and just sort of be mixed in there together. No, there's a replacement thing going on. Um, it's, it's, um, earlier this year, I went to brew some coffee in our office and we have one of those coffee machines that uh, doesn't have the glass. It's, um, it's like stainless steel or whatever, so you can't see what's in there. And I brewed some fresh coffee. It was good coffee, okay? It was good beans, you know? Our coffee pot works really well. It's legitimate, okay? Coffee always comes out good and hot, like it should. I brewed it. I took a sip. It was lukewarm. It was very lukewarm. I was like, this is weird. I thought immediately, like, oh, our coffee machine has broken, Okay, I need to get a new coffee machine. And so but what I, I did what all you would do, hopefully. I went and I microwaved it, okay? I went and I microwaved the coffee, and I kept drinking the coffee. And as, as I'm drinking the coffee, I'm like, man, this just doesn't taste right. There's something wrong here, okay? And I did a little more investigating. And I realized that somebody, I don't know, a week or two prior, had brewed some coffee and just left it in there. So I brewed fresh, hot, good coffee on top of old, cold, hopefully not moldy coffee, okay? <laughs> and I'm drinking this thing, okay? See, that new fresh hot coffee didn't just, didn't have the power, didn't have the ability to transform that coffee, right? I needed to replace the old coffee, didn't I? I needed to throw that puppy out. I needed to receive something new, right? That's exactly what this is talking about. 
This passage isn't saying that you're pretty solid and you just need Jesus to come by like a server does. When you go out to breakfast and you order some coffee and now your server comes by and they say, what, can I warm you up a bit? And they warm up your coffee. They pour a little bit more in. But the coffee you have is already good coffee, isn't it? It's just a little bit colder. And so, yeah, warm me up. This is great. Some of us view our lives that way. I'm pretty solid. I just need Jesus as a server to come by and like warm me up a bit. That's not the case at all. I need deep transformation. I need a whole new cup. I am one way. I need to be a different way. But my efforts up to this point are only resulting in failure and frustration. If you're anything like me, I feel the uh uh-oh. That's what I feel. You guys, we, we are people who've been trying from the very beginning of time to get our mortal hands on the immortal. We've been trying so hard to get our perishable hands on the imperishable. Flesh and blood have tried hard as they possibly can to enter the kingdom of God. We've been trying to get our hands on God. That's what we've been doing. And on Holy Week, guys, we remember, we've remembered this week that since flesh and blood couldn't inherit the kingdom of God, the king of the kingdom put on flesh and blood and did what you and I could never do. This is what we're celebrating this week. And when we finally got our hands on Jesus, when the king put on flesh and blood, what happened? What did we do with him? When we finally got our hands on God, what did we do? When we finally saw him, when we finally heard him, when we could touch him, what did we do? We crucified him. Uh, this will be a, a painting here on the, the screen. It's a famous painting. It's a painting by Rembrandt. It's titled Raising of the Cross. It's in, uh, circa um, 1633. And you'll see something really interesting about this painting and why it's so famous. Um, you see a man there with a turban, which this is uh, historically very inaccurate. But it's intentional because Rembrandt, that's him. He's the painter of the painting and he's painted himself into the scene. Because painters would often wear these turbans so they didn't get paint in their hair. What's he doing? He's in the story, but he's observing the story. You also notice somebody there with a beret. That's also very historically inaccurate. Why? What's Rembrandt as well? He's painted himself in a second time. What's he doing? He's crucifying Jesus. He's participating. Do you see what Rembrandt understands that all of us need to understand? This story that we're remembering this morning what we've thought about all week during Holy Week, guys, Rembrandt realizes and is saying something that this isn't just a story. This is my story. That that other people didn't just crucify Jesus. It was actually my sin that that nailed him to the cross. See, Easter tells us that there's something more that we need than a mere tweak here and there in our lives. We don't just need to be warmed up. We need transformation. And I'm not able to do that. We need, we need this transformation, but it's being promised, though I can't do it myself. So how, how do I achieve this? How do I, how do I do this? Well, we see the victory that Jesus achieved for us that we couldn't win. In verse 54 and 50 through 57, read with me. It says, when the perishable puts on the imperishable, when the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory 
through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what you see here? You see that in these verses here, something very important. You see that all of history is headed somewhere. And you're in that. Do you see this? Paul's ripping out some Bible verses from the prophet Isaiah, from the prophet Hosea, and he's reminding us this morning that God has made some promises and that one day death would be swallowed up forever. Uh, In Isaiah chapter 25, verse 8, God has said this. He says, he will swallow up death forever and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. You guys, death is coming. Like my death is coming. And your death is coming. Our death is coming. Like in other people's death is coming. Like everybody dies. Right? There's a one-to-one ratio here. Okay? Everybody dies. This is like our number one fear, isn't it? I mean, sure, you might feel really healthy this morning and young. You're like, well, I don't really think about it. I mean, maybe for you, it's your fear is, you know, you feel this need to be really successful or, or you want your parents to, to, to be proud of you. Right? you. There's a whole bunch of lists of things, but when you really get down to it, one day you'll see all those other fears are kind of just underneath this overarching fear of death. This is like our number one thing. But here in Isaiah, it's being swallowed up. Well, how can that be? Well, just look at these quotes. These are, these are spoken over us. Do you see what these are saying? This is spoken over you this morning as if these things, as if death is defeated, as if the ending has been written and we're now moving towards the ending. Um, I don't know if you're, I'm just curious, maybe you're a, a weirdo like me. And uh, you, you watch maybe certain movies or TV shows over and over you like it so much. And uh, if you're anything like me, sometimes I'll watch these things and I, I know the ending, but I've seen it like five times, maybe more, won't lie. And every time though, I'm going through this story and I still feel the same emotion and it's pathetic, but every time I watch The Office, okay, <laughs> when it comes time to the episode where Michael Scott leaves the show, there's always this part of me that's like, maybe it won't happen this time, you know? I just always have that little bit of hope, and then quickly I'm like, I'm an idiot. This is dumb, right? I know the ending of the story, right? I know the ending of the story. That's stupid. See, God is telling you the ending of the story. He hasn't told you all the plot turns and twists along the way. He hasn't told us when the ending will arrive, but he's made it clear that in the end, death loses, and it's swallowed up, and it is no more. I know the ending. So it's as if God is taunting death here. He's saying, where is your victory? Right, death, you've won every single time. Every human being who has ever lived has faced you at their end and they've lost. Death has won. Death is undefeated. Death, where is your sting? He's taunting this. Death, where is the sting? 
Have you ever been stung by a, a bee before? I've been stung quite a few times, actually. At one time, I was stung nine times by a swarm, and my wife just sat in the car and laughed at me. <laughs> um, you get to ask her about it. No, she's, she's awesome. She was nursing our child, so I guess it's a good excuse. But um, anyways... I got really stung by bees. Bees sting. Bees hurt, right? The sting hurts, doesn't it? Why? And it's because, actually, of the sting. The, the sting of the bees is the reason why we don't like bees, right? I mean, if bees couldn't sting you, then they would just be annoying, wouldn't they? We wouldn't be afraid of bees, though, would we, if there was no sting? See, the reason death is our great enemy is not death in itself. It's because of the sting of death. That's what Paul's saying here. Paul says in verse 56, the sting of death is sin. See, it is that death is the result of sin. We're actually told in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. What our sin has earned us is death. And so if we die... And our bank account of sin before God is deep in debt. Death is not a good thing. But if our sin has been pardoned, if our account balance has been paid off, then death loses its sting. Do you, do you see this? The, the, the sting is not in death itself, it's in our sin. And, and Paul says the power of sin is the law. That doesn't mean that sin wouldn't exist if it weren't for the law. It's just that the law has revealed to us what our sin actually is. So God's law has helped us to identify and to see our sin. It puts its finger on it. I don't know if you've ever been sick before and you go to the doctor and you say, hey, a doctor, I have all these symptoms. And, and they examine you. And what they do, oftentimes, they look at you and they say, well, how about you rest for a couple of weeks, and if the symptoms persist, come on back. And I love doctors, okay? But every time I hear that, I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, I'm sick. Like, that's why I came here the first time, you know? And so there's this mild frustration you always feel when someone can't put their finger on it. What's the problem? Uh, just personal example, years ago, I was having still, like, I had all this terrible back pain, Terrible neck pain. And I'd go to the doctor and they'd say, you just have arthritis. And I'd be like, really? Because it feels different, you know, than everybody else. Like I couldn't lay flat on the floor. I couldn't move, all this stuff. One day I go to the doctor and he goes, actually, you have this. He said, you have ankylosing spondylitis. And he explained this thing to me and he explained what's going on with my body. And I literally was like, oh my gosh, this is it. This is what's wrong with me. He put his finger on my problem. And he goes, yeah, but there's no cure. You're just going to, you know, have to, you know, you'll be miserable, basically. And, uh, but there was something really strange about that experience because there was like a strange joy and a strange peace that I felt just because someone put their finger on my problem. The issue was they could put the finger on the problem, but they couldn't point me to any solution. The law does the same thing. It puts its finger on your problem. It points it out. So it's good, right? But, it, but you, you can't draw yourself into the, the place of solution. That's what you're being told here. It points out the problem. It can't fix our problem, though. Our debt is too great. Well, shoot. This is why the imperishable, the perishable, actually, cannot inherit the kingdom. This is the whole thing. But guys, there's a really sweet but here. There's an awesome but. 
What does it say? But thanks be to God. You guys, let's give thanks to God. We must give thanks to God. Why would we thank God? Because he's given us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's be real. Isn't this the sweetest sentence that you have ever heard in your life? And I, I hope so. Guys, this is what Easter is all about. This is what the resurrection of Jesus has done. Notice here that victory has been achieved. Death, you guys, has finally lost. Notice that victory has been given to you by God. It's received. It's not achieved by you. It's achieved by God for you, and it's given to you. We, we experience this all the time in life. A year ago, our Oregon State Beavers uh, won the national title, didn't they? It was awesome. And what did we all go around saying? If you're a part of Oregon State's institution or if you're a Beaver fan, what'd you go around saying? You're like, we won. We won. I said that, but I didn't win anything, actually. Like, if it was me on the field, I would be completely incapable of succeeding in the way that they did. We're, we're, you're, you should be glad it wasn't me, right? Like, I'd be, I'd, I would just fail, and that's how I feel when I'm the perishable trying to inherit the imperishable. But what Jesus did for me what I couldn't do for myself but when I'm united to Jesus, just like when I'm a Beaver fan or I'm a part of the institution, his victory is applied to me. That's how it's, it's given to me. That's how this whole thing works. But notice the next thing, guys. It's not just any victory. It's not just vague victory. It's not a verse for you to walk around with and just think, whatever I set out to do now, God's going to give me the victory. What is it? It's the victory. There's an article in front of victory. There's the victory. Well, what's the victory? Well, it's the victory that no one's ever achieved. It's the victory that death has held the title belt for and never lost it from the beginning of time. Every person has faced death and lost, and death has taunted in victory, and everyone has felt its sting because they've died with an account filled with sin debt. But guys, our victory has been given to us through our Lord Jesus Christ. You guys, there was one who came and who never, never racked up even a penny of sin debt. And when he died, there was no sting of death that came from his account, but he paid the debt of all who would put their faith in him to save them. And Jesus died with no sin debt of his own. Instead, when he hung on the cross, he drained your account and he applied it to his own. He looks at you and he says, drain their account, drain their account, drain their account. I'll pay for it. Death thought it had won, that it was going to keep the title belt. But Easter morning came, and Jesus got up from death, and he walked out of the grave, and he never went into it again, and death had finally lost. The victory wasn't death's anymore, and God's great promises from Isaiah and Hosea, they're coming true. The ending has been written. Death will be swallowed up because our sin has been dealt with. Do you see, if you've placed your faith in the risen Jesus this morning, you aren't trying to achieve anything, right? You are living from a place of victory. Your sin has been defeated. You don't need to fear death anymore. Death is now our moment of rest and transformation where the perishable 
will become imperishable, where mortality will take on immortality. Not because you've added Jesus' coffee to warm you up, but because you've been given Jesus' whole new victory by faith. That's what's coming. So, if you stand here on Easter today and you're like, I believe this. You just go, this is great. I have a coming promise. This is great. Jesus achieved the victory for me. Let's just hang out. What do we do now? You're actually told here, you get a new purpose. A purpose that you actually could never have lived with if Jesus hadn't risen from the dead. Verse 58, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. You guys, if you've been with us through chapter 15, it's been an amazing chapter about the resurrection. Verse 58 gives you the very first, therefore, the entire chapter. It's like Jesus has been raised. Here's what you should do. You, you have such a clear, amazing purpose now. See, everyone is searching for purpose in their lives. I mean, as a pastor, honestly, I talk to a lot of people, and most people are searching for their purpose. Like, well, what should I be doing? And what's the point? And if this is where history is headed, and if you're on Jesus, the victor's team, you're told here, therefore, guys, the matter is settled, you have a stable purpose. You have something that can't be disturbed, okay? Uh, be steadfast then. Be immovable. In other words, don't let anything move you. We're so prone to being fickle from shifting from one thing to another Get a firm grip on the truth of the resurrection, on God's final plan for all people and all things, and don't let yourself be shaken. Well, what should we be immovable in? What does it tell you? It's abounding in the work of the Lord. Your life with Jesus is an abundant life with purpose because he rose from the dead. Right? Every day when you wake up, you have a new purpose. Every day. You just got to remember it. What, do you, what you do then when you're doing it with Jesus matters, always, every time. And its reaching effects don't end with death, they extend into eternity. Why? Because of the resurrection. We know that in Jesus, in the Lord, our labor is not in vain. I mean, vain literally just means empty or it means wasted, something you throw away. Right? So it means whenever you're doing something with Jesus in the work of the Lord, you never go, well, that wasn't worth it. You don't ever throw it away. It always matters when we labor with the king. And that's a great thing because very often we might think we've found our purpose in life. But eventually we meet the dead end of that purpose and we have those thoughts that tell us that we've wasted our lives. I mean, maybe you thought your purpose was to establish a great career or something and you went to school, you declared a major, you took a few classes, you're like, this isn't what I thought it was. So you declared a different major, you took a few classes, you changed your major again. Three or four times, right? Davey Walker, are you in here? Right? We do this. Change it again and again, and you finally go, well, what was the point of that? I spent that money. I took those classes. Maybe you graduated with a degree. You worked hard. You got into a field that you thought you were going to love, and you only discovered it wasn't what you thought it was going to be. So now you're working in a different field that you didn't even study in. Maybe, maybe you've wanted to be married, and that was the end goal of your life, and you thought you had the one, but in the end... 
after years of time and energy and emotion, it wound up just not happening. Or you found the one, you tied the knot, and you're really disappointed, you're really frustrated right now, or maybe it's even ended in divorce. You're living in a city that you never thought you would live in. You're living a life that you didn't dream up for yourself. We seek all these things that we think are our purpose, and we put them into this level that they're never meant to be at. You see, these are all good things, things that matter, but we make them our life purpose. We find dead ends and experience loss in that purpose. And a purposeless life or the feeling that I threw away those years is a painful experience that can just bring about deep valleys of frustration and despair. But here's the good but again. Because Jesus is alive, guys, we can labor in such a way that we know that we won't meet a dead end. So here's the great question. What's the work of Jesus? Jesus had a conversation with some people about this very thing. So let's learn from him. John chapter 6, this will be on the screen. Some people, Jesus said to some people, do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. The people asked Jesus, well, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Huh? I mean, the work of God, according to Jesus, is to believe in Jesus? So your work that's not in vain, the, the work of Jesus is to steady yourself every day, to be immovable, and to believe all the more in your resurrected Savior. This is labor, but it's labor that lasts. See, it's, it's you believing, and it's you believing again and again and spending your lives so that others may hear of Jesus and believe. It's telling people day in and day out about the truth that Jesus has died to pay for our sin debt, that he's risen from the dead, taking the championship belt from our greatest enemy, death. It's, it's laboring with that purpose that all might hear and believe and that you might continue to do so as well. But it's not just words, it's in actions because Paul even says in Galatians 6, 9, to not grow weary in doing good because in due season you will reap a harvest. There is a labor in Jesus, a great purpose. And we spend our lives sharing and showing him in his finished work to the world. And if you spend your life towards that purpose, that'll echo throughout eternity. That's a purpose-filled life. Let's just zoom out here. Guys, this isn't just another day. Today is a new day. Today is a fresh start. Because flesh and blood couldn't inherit the kingdom of God. So the eternal king took on flesh and blood for you. And he got into the ring with sin and death and its undefeated record. And he punched sin in the throat and he knocked out death. Jesus wins. And he's changed your past, and your present, and your future. Everything is different now because of this day. You, you might have walked in here despairing, 
I'll never change. And you have this great hope that you can never obtain that says we will all be changed. You walked in here defeated. I did it again. And Jesus, you look at him with the eyes of faith again and you see his victory for you. Death will be swallowed up. You walked in here aimless. Because of the resurrection, we're told here, you have a new purpose, a life that can never be wasted, that could never be wasted. All because God gives you the victory. You're headed towards victory. And God doesn't make empty promises. We know that victory is coming because with the eyes of our heart, we've seen Jesus get up from death and walk out of the grave, and we know that by faith, we will too. So why fear? Why fear? It's a new day. Father God, this morning I do pray that this wouldn't just be something maybe we've heard for however many times, God, but that you would, by the power of your spirit, cause to see and believe what it is that you've done on our behalf, Lord Jesus. You've finished work that we can never do. You are our great victor, our great conqueror, and I pray, God, that would just infuse us with courage, purpose, and hope. God, knowing that we're living from victory, not trying to achieve it ourselves. So, God, as we respond to you during our time now, Lord, I pray that you would move in our hearts, that you would bring people to faith in you, God, that you would restore people who are hurting or wandering today, God, that you would bring people face-to-face with you, and bring about that transformation, God, that you promise. In Christ's name I pray, amen.